you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 141 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Hong Kong's Vice Establishment Law Evasion episode of... The SLS cast, because it turns out that the number Hong Kong often uses to refer to prostitutes working out of a private apartment in order to evade Hong Kong's vice establishment law happens to be 141. Yes, and of course, with that little bit of uh, sex tourism knowledge, which is illegal, by the way. It is, of course, Matt, and coming to us from Hollywood, where he is currently showcasing the wonders that is the Walkman ZX2, it would be... So if I live in apartment 141, and the police have to come to my door, will they automatically suspect that I am a prostitute? And, And probably from Hong Kong. It is entirely possible. Well, that sucks. Or or uh, unfortunate. I, or it could be cool, you know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. Tell me, though, Tim, how are you enjoying your $1,200 Walkman? Well, my Walkman... I, okay, I'm not going to... I don't own one. I don't even own an <laughs> iPod. <laughs> uh, well, most people don't own iPods really anymore because they have the iPhones. Well, I don't even have an iPhones. iPhone. This is good. This is good. I have an Android, but the but the 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 damn extended battery on the Android, it's like another phone attached to it. Interesting. Yeah. First world problems. <laughs> but no, tell me more about the Walkmans. Did you own a Walkman? No. Well, this is actually uh, the new. This is what Sony has. Uh, come up with to be the new Walkman, the Walkman for the new age. Oh, so this is the, like a new product. It is, it is, and it literally costs one thousand two hundred dollars. Uh, but it does. Um, it's got carved playback buttons, gold-toned headphone jack. Uh, it's got a micro SD card slot for up to 128 gig of storage. It's also able to support things like DSD, WAV, AIFF, FLAC, and Apple lossless carrying Bluetooth capacity and NFC for one-touch connections to external components. So this does thing- it still play tapes, though? I mean, I think no, that would be no, a major the, selling point. The, the, there are no analog tape cassette components uh, for this one. But apparently it does virtually everything else electronically when it comes to sound. So so can I buy I, one that's not gold plated? I, and so maybe I, it could be like 300 bucks? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe with your employee discount. It's entirely possible. That's I, true. I, I well, too sure. bad my employee discount does not cover... $1,300 Walkmans. But hey, Matt, my name is Tim. Um, yes. And I uh, I had a lot of fun being with you, Matt. Oh, well, that was, yes. It was nice to spend time with you. We finally got to, to live our dream. Oh, yes. Of going to the That's gay right. bar together. We did. And uh, it was very nice, excellently priced beers, by the way. That is right. It, it wasn't as... 
uh, it's not a very uncomfortable story to tell you anyways, because, I mean, Matt did hold my hand uh, for most of the time, like like I requested. True. Well, I mean, how could I say no after you got me the condom and everything? Exactly, yeah. right? And I did. I walked out with one and kind of threw it at him. <laughs> and sla- I, I slapped him ask, around though, with it for a bit. I meant, I, I meant to ask, because I, I myself did not use the facilities there. Um, when you went to use the facilities... Over by the urinals, was there like any small hole in the wall, like like maybe a kind of like a plaster cracked hole? You mean one that maybe your penis can fit through? No, no, this would definitely be head level, like top head at the attached to your neck, head level. So where a penis can fit through? You're gonna like stand on top of the urinals. But to get why? To this hole? I mean, why would I mean? What's the? That's point? why I'm asking because when okay, you remember we were talking about how I used to know the owners of the bar when it was originally the Uncle Sam's bar before it got turned into the room bar. Yeah, right? but the hole's supposed to be down lower for the wing to go through. Well, yeah, I know, but there, but when we were there, when I was there back when it was Uncle Sam's, uh, we had some friends come in with us one night, and this friend of mine, her husband, she was a work friend, and so her husband got drunk and thought that this one guy was actually hitting on his wife and my wife. And so when he went into the bathroom, my uh, friend's husband went in there and literally smashed his head into the wall. And for the long, I mean, ever since that time, uh, they had never fixed that hole in the wall above the urinal. So that's why I was asking if there was the hole was still there. Oh, I thought this was supposed to be like a sexy, you know, no, I was thing. literally like a literal. Yeah. Like oh, it was, well, yeah so you so. mean like a, 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 a wall, a, a damaged wall caused by the impact of an angry head. I don't know if the head that was impacted it was angry. It was probably angry after it impacted, but yeah. Um, no, so I, I was just curious. Yeah, I, no, I'm I didn't guessing. notice that. I, I just okay. noticed the. Well, they they have like the novelty toys that are uh, that are in those little machines right above the urinals. So I mean, <laughs> okay. I I, I want to meet the person. I mean, anybody, gay or straight, who uses the bathroom, and because I mean, those novelty toy uh, dispensary things are in gay and straight bathrooms. I mean, they're all over the place. Whole in, usually it's the divey, uh, divey bar, you know, bars or whatever. But I want to meet that person that's sitting there, going, to, going, taking a pee, and looks up and thinks, God, I really want that whole tingler, you know? I really want that little whistle. I, you know, I think that I need to get that for my loved one right now. Well, I mean, if it saves you... A separate trip to the sex store or, you know, waiting on shipping, Prime or not, from Amazon, then maybe that maybe it's just a convenience kind of a thing. It's an impulse buy. <laughs> maybe that they should that's how they should market those things. As impulse buys. Indeed. Yeah. But more importantly though, I guess we should ask how your stint was in the Mexican jail. Uh it was good. Um there were a lot of holes uh, on the lower level though, not not up top where one's angry head would be hitting against it. Many more uh glory holes and big big enough for donkeys to fit through. Wow. Um 
you know, but I stayed away from that. I, I kind of stayed by where all the roughnecks hang out at because I wouldn't be like them. Because it's good whenever you go to a prison that you make friends with the tough dudes so you don't become their bitch. Or you do become their bitch and therefore they protect you. So nobody else makes you your bitch. I've got this whole thing planned out. I've got an A scenario, a B scenario, and I've got the preferred scenario, which is to keep myself away from anything coming towards me. Very good. It's nice to know that you've watched enough Oz in your time to have this stuff worked out. That's right. That's right. How about you? Do you have like a plan, a prison plan? Like if you ever break the law or get wrongfully accused that you... I'm kind of hoping that the only scenarios that would result in my incarceration are the scenarios that would literally make me pretty fucking cool. Like, for example, catching someone hurting a child and me just, like, beating them to death with my bare hands so that even if I were convicted, like, I'd walk around and people were like, dude, you're that guy that saved that kid. Yes, yes I am. You're all right by me. So those are pretty much the only things that I ever have thought about. No, if I imagine I'd have to probably get my shit together if I was going to go to jail for some non-cool offense like that. I would come visit you in in jail and like sneak you in stuff like <laughs> Little little Twinkies, or, or not little Twinkies, those little sausages that you always talk about. I'd be that guy. Oh, God, is Tim bringing those, those little sausages? Don't worry, Billy Ray. I've got you some as well. I've got you covered. But I can also picture you with, with the little clown tear on one side and the Mike Tyson face paint on the other. Hmm. I, I, I don't know if I could do that. I might be able to do the teardrop on the on the hand or something, though. You know, um, I don't know. Maybe I could just go all, um, go all out and do the evil and good across the, across the fingers there, right below the knuckles. You know, yeah. I don't know. But enough about this depressing stuff. <laughs> we have uh, we we have a new Twitter follower. Oh, we do. That's right. Yes, I, I I checked our I checked our email. So when people send us emails to the show at slscast.com, we can we can get them. And Twitter has notified us that another movie podcast apparently has uh, deemed us worthy of being followable, uh, and it would be uh, skip to the end. I, I personally have not had a chance to check them out. Have you had a chance to check them out, sir? I did, but I skipped to the end. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, because I thought oh, my side. Oh, yeah, uh, that was oh, bad. I'm sorry. Was, you just, you just, you can stop listening to the show. It's, it's only going to get worse <laughs> than. That. I believe they have just skipped to the end forever. <laughs> but this is uh, at S T T E P O D C A S T A B C one two three. <laughs> Basically at S T T E podcast. Then uh, they are a movie podcast with Mark. Ben and Adam, and uh, apparently this is a podcast partner of MCM Comic-Con. We need to get a Comic-Con to be partnered with. What the hell is this? Uh, they're also available on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as their own website, uh, skiptotheend.podomatic.com, and uh, apparently their location is The Cinema, and um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, 
I'm, I appreciate the follow. I will definitely be adding you to my list here in Stitcher and giving you a listen uh, when I am at work, probably tomorrow night. So yay to that. Uh, that was the only other, that was really the only thing we had there. In we did the get a, a follower. Uh, didn't we, like, Revelstoke Jim follow us recently? I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, I thought he followed us a long time ago. Oh. Maybe he just followed me, and I'm just late to the game. But thank you anyway. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Or maybe he just followed just you. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Because you are just cooler. It's entirely possible. Entirely, entirely possible. And and a big thanks to Johnny Whitrash for filling in last week. I do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, as always, very funny and very Entertaining. I also yes. like the the kindergarten t- uh, cop two piece with uh, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. So, <laughs> well, what I what I'm just most happy about is that you know he he did not end the show. So I mean we're still doing the show and that's a good thing. Um, I also have some news of the weird though. This was the news of the weird piece that Johnny did not pick last week. If you would like to hear it, sir. Hmm. Yes, I do believe I would like to hear it. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and link it to you because it's just not as good if you don't have the pictures to go along with it. This is definitely a visual for you here. From news.com.au by way of Matt Young. Tabitha Lee grooms arrested after boyfriend refuses sex. Now, when you look at this woman, Tim, do you ask yourself, but how could he refuse sex from this woman? Or do you maybe understand why he might have said, I'm going to take a pass, thanks. Oh, You know those fish you find at the very bottom of the ocean? Maybe yeah. a mixture of that and a and meth beaver. Mouth? Yes. Did you say oh. and Bette Midler? No, and meth mouth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm. I mean, I, I hate to poke fun at this, but ah uh, oh, man, yeah, I, I like this. This makes for one hell of a hangover. Yes, yes. it does. Well, okay, yeah. So the sad part was, um. <clears throat> So basically, <laughs> this was an intoxicated rage. She starts biting him all over the place and everything uh, because he had refused to have sex with her earlier in the day. So she went out, got drunk, and came back and decided to attack him over it. But the funny thing was is that when she comes home to um, confront her boyfriend, she announced she had, quote, fucked everyone else because he would not fuck her, end quote. Now, I don't believe that for one second, but let's just assume that was true. Maybe it was everyone else in the meth bar, I don't know, uh, before attacking him on the sofa. And then, what, what I really love here, though, was that she then proceeded to punch, to punch her mother, her very own mother, Betty Clark, who lives at the residence with the couple in her left eye. <sighs> yeah. I mean, she admitted to police 
that she had been drinking, but not before she, quote, threatened to run over Deputy Turner with the baby stroller if he did not move out of her way. <laughs> oh, this woman, I mean, you want to talk about winning at life? I think I think this is it right here. So where, did, where was this at again? Tennessee? Uh, well, with .au, I've got to go with Australia. Ooh, Maybe. man. Yeah. Must be so, uh, way out in the outback. For sure. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's my news of the weird. Yeah, but that's like, not, I, I don't want to call that news of the weird. It's more like news of the traumatic. Or news of not wanting Tim to go to sleep at night. Because I think I see this, I'm going to see this person in my dreams. <laughs> Every time I go to kiss my girlfriend. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. All right. Well, I think it's time then that we should get to the real news. What do you say, sir? Yes, please. All right, folks. Here we go. It's the news. <laughs> And first up from me, coming to us from theskypost.com, by way of, uh, I don't see a direct attribution here, so I guess it's just from them. Uh, straight out of Compton, tops the charts with 56.1 million in its debut weekend. The biopic about rap group NWA debuted to a blistering 56.1 million this weekend in 2,757 theaters, surpassing American Pie 2 to become the biggest ever August debut for an R-rated movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, you know, it, it, it's interesting because despite this wonderful top win, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation came in second. And Man from Uncle debuted in third place. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Interesting that not only did two... Well, I guess it's a little bit not really surprising for Mission Impossible. Because it's been out for a while. Um, for three weeks now. So, I guess, you know, it was going to be dropping out a little bit. But interesting that you've got Fantastic Four in its second weekend... Um, and then Man from Uncle in its first weekend, and The Gift, which is getting lots of really good reviews, is only in its second weekend. And that here we go, straight out of Compton, just completely blew them all away. Um, what do you think, Tim? Is this is this simply because of the names attached, or do you think it's because it's you know? compelling content without going into it too much because obviously we're going to be talking about it later yeah i think it's definitely the content and uh, the music and the history and, and a lot of the stuff that the movie talks about is very relevant to today civil rights rights and music so yeah i think it's because it, it just came out at the right time and people are really into this stuff still i i mean i was actually expecting it to do this well or to do really well, but maybe not necessarily $56 million well. And I gotta say, Universal has had a pretty smashing year. Apparently, they've uh, broken the record 
of reaching $2 billion the quickest out of any studio this early in the game. All right, well, there you go. So what do you got for us, sirs? First there, sir. All righty, first up for me is from ScreenCrush.com. The director of Crash doesn't think it deserved the Best Picture Oscar either. This is written by Matt's good friend, Matt Singer. And this is what the article says. Check almost any post of the worst Oscar winners in history, and you are bound to find, at or near the very top, Paul Haggis's Crash. The story of racial collisions, like literally in Los Angeles, got plenty of good reviews upon its release in 2005, but pretty quickly the positive sentiment curdled into tense resentment as the film wound up sweeping through award season and besting more well-regarded productions like Brokeback Mountain and Good Night and Good Luck. A decade later, public opinion is almost unanimous. The Oscars got it wrong. Opinion is so unanimous, in fact, it's actually shared by Crash's director, Paul Haggis. In a new interview with HitFix about his new HBO miniseries, Show Me a Hero, Haggis conceded that even he agrees that the Academy got it wrong when they picked his movie to receive the Best Picture Award for 2005. Quote, Was it the best film of the year? I don't think so. There were great films that year. Good Night and Good Luck. Amazing film. Capote. Terrific film. Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain. Great film. And Spielberg's Munich. I mean, please, what a year. End quote. To be clear, Haggis ain't rushing out to hand his Oscar back. Quote, I'm very glad to have those, end quote, he told Hitfix. And he's still proud of his work. He attributes his film's success to the way it, quote, affected, end quote, people. Quote, I guess that's what the Academy voted for. Something that really touched them, end quote, Haggis says. Still people do come up to him to say that Crash changed their lives. Uh, and I'll just end that there. But the article does go on for a bit. Uh, and I gotta say, I mean, when Crash came out, I loved it. It was one of my all-time favorite movies of the year. Again, that was ten years ago. I watched it a few years back, and it definitely was a movie for its time. Nowadays, you have movies that spoke about racism and whatnot. A lot, many of them have come out after that one and have done better at bringing that subject to light. So therefore, you look at Good Night and Good Luck and especially Munich and even Brokeback Mountain. I mean, those movies are definitely the superior films. So it's interesting that Paul Haggis has come out to, uh, uh, to come out and actually talk about that. But I guess it's easy for him since he was the one that actually won the Academy Award 10 years ago. Matt, any comments, questions, concerns? Did you feel the same way when Crash came out in 05? Um, honestly, <laughs> um, I per- didn't particularly care about any of those movies. Munich was probably pretty good. I, I mean, I certainly thought it was better than Crash, but Crash just was one of those. It was kind of like uh, the Titanic of its year. It just the hype train was not was not to be derailed, and so yeah, it was definitely hyped, and it was definitely melodramatic. But I gotta say, I mean, it was melodrama done right, but it definitely doesn't hold up, you know, some years later on. But cool. All right. Well, next up for me, 
from consequenceofsound.net by way of Alex Young. Flight of the Concords have begun writing a movie. Plus, Jermaine Clement confirms a reunion tour for next year. That's right, folks. For Flight of the Concords, the clock just struck business time. Jermaine Clement, one half of the New Zealand's favorite comedy music duo, has all but confirmed the band's impending return in a series of recent interviews. Earlier this year, word surfaced that Clement and partner Brett McKenzie were planning a North American tour. In a new interview with Consequence of Sound, Clement confirmed this to be the fact. Quote, we were planning on doing it this summer, but then I ended up doing the BFG instead. So it's my fault we didn't do it this time. But we are hoping to announce a tour. We'll announce it before the end of the year, hopefully, and then sometime next year get on the road. After we get some new guitar strings and that sort of thing. Uh, Article does go on to briefly state, oh, and I apologize, end quote there at sort of thing. Uh, Goes on to say that he has actually... Through an interview with IndieWire, Clement clarified the standing of the movie that they are doing. Um, Quote, We have actually started writing one. Who knows if it will ever be made? We've written some notes for some different film ideas. We're not down to the stage where we're going, the film is going to be like this. It could be this, 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 this. End quotes there. Um, Even with just the outline and the early stages, Tim, are you excited for the possibilities here? Or do you think that this is just kind of, um, I guess, fodder for the fans? I, I think why people do get excited for the Fly the Concords is because they are really good at what they do. They're smart, they're witty, and they're fun. And they definitely have their tongue planted in their mouth, or uh, to this, in, in their, not in their mouth. Oh my god. What's that saying? They ha- you have your tongue planted... Firmly in your cheek. Thank you. Yep. Which is in your mouth. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I love me some Bowie in space and some business time, you know. So, I'm, I'm I think it's great. It. And I, I, yes, I, I agree. I don't think it's lip service because these are, ge- these are a couple of guys who generally don't do that. Although they... Uh, do have really good banter. They do. And what's also great is that they've only come out with two albums. Uh, they only had two seasons of their show, which are only eight episodes a season or a series. Something like that, yeah. So I, nobody actually got sick and tired of them. They kind of stopped doing it before people got to that stage. So I think they're doing good. Outstanding. All right, what else do you got for us, sir? Next up, from RopeOfSilicon.com. This is written by... Brad Brevet, The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, the extended edition, is rated R. (laughs) It was recently announced that Warner Brothers and Fathom Events would be releasing the extended versions of the Hobbit trilogy in theaters beginning October 5th. The three films would be shown over the course of three nights and will include an exclusive introduction from director Peter Jackson. One new and rather interesting piece of information regarding the upcoming extended edition of The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies is that the MPAA has awarded it an R rating for, quote, some violence, end quote. The movie was added to yesterday's ratings bulletin after I had already posted it, says the author, but the rating is official and Battle of the Five Armies is listed as as rated R on the MPAA's official site. 
The previously released extended editions of The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, and The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, were both rated PG-13. And considering the amount of fantasy violence in the whole of all these films, not to mention the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and pretty much every PG-13 fantasy movie released nowadays, it's a bit fascinating to see Battle of the Five Armies carrying an R rating. We'll see if more information comes out of this, or if Warner Brothers' video will appeal to the rating, though, when an appeal is going to be made, the MPAA typically notes it on their bulletins, which this one, the only note, is the one I listed above. End all quotes. So, yeah, like, what, Matt, what you mentioned during our pre-show, will people actually not only go see the extended edition at the movie theater, or really will people actually care about it to begin with? And I'm, I'm going to say this both. Is, <laughs> this is this is probably the new version of CIA torture. No, dear God, make it stop. I was the second gunman on the grassy knoll. Yeah, in the exact, and like, give me the, the extended editions of Lord of the Rings any day. Those are fantastic additions to the original films. But the problem with Hobbit is that the material that they added to the extended, uh, or to make it the extended edition, I guess, really doesn't do anything to the overall picture. Because already the movie was supposed to be two films, and they extended it to three films. There really wasn't a point. Although, I will say I am mildly mildly interested in, you know, in, in maybe, possibly... The Battle of the Five Armies could be half a star better than what it originally was. I don't know. I just now I've just got that scene from Spaceballs playing in my head <laughs> when Dark Helmet wants to go to ludicrous speed, <laughs> and they're like, "No, sir, that's too fast." Only now we replace it where Dark Helmet's played by <laughs> Peter Jackson. <laughs> And he's like, we're going to make an extended cut. No, sir, they're too long already. Shut up, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but can you do that with a New, Eng- New England, with a New Zealand accent? With no, an Aussie I can't. accent. I just want to see somebody make that into a GIF, though. <laughs> My God, sir, the movie's so long, it's gone plaid. All right. You should anyway. do it. Why, why don't you do that? Make yourself because, a gift. Honestly, or because a gift. I don't know. GIF. I don't know how to. I am not that cool. I do not know how to make a gift like that. Uh, Google even gift if, makers. They, they yeah, have but makers. It's and not stuff. just a matter of taking a scene and shortening it into a gift form. You've literally got to replace people. Like you'd have to cut out Rick Moranis's face with and put Peter Jackson's face on top of it, and you'd have to put like a couple. At any rate, neither here nor there. Uh, my last bit of news. <laughs> From NewYorkDailyNews.com by way of Ethan Sachs. Ian McKellen. Tom Cruise nearly cost me chance to play Gandalf and Magneto. Um, it's not quite as drastic as that. But this is a pretty interesting story. I wanted to close out my news with this. Powerful forces almost conspired to keep Sir Ian McKellen from his destiny of playing Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings movies and Magneto in the X-Men franchise. Or at least the most powerful force in Hollywood at the time, Tom Cruise. McKellen told People Magazine that he came this close to opting out uh, to opting to take on a role in a different mega franchise, Cruise's Mission Impossible. Quote, I got offered a part in Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, but they wouldn't let me see the whole script because I might have spilled the beans. I only got my scene, end quote there, McKellen told the magazine. 
Quote, well, I couldn't judge from reading just those scenes what the script was like, so I said no. And my agent said, you can't say no to working with Tom Cruise. And I said, I think I will. End quote there. It was a big risk at the time. The then 60-year-old actor was a distinguished stage actor in his home country, but virtually unknown on this side of the pond. Quote, the next day, Brian Singer asked me to play Magneto, and then Peter Jackson asked me to play Gandalf, and I said yes to both, end quote, he told people. Uh, Oddly enough, Mission Impossible 2 caused another major ripple effect on modern cinematic history. Actor Doug DeGray had originally been cast as Wolverine in X-Men, but scheduling issues with his previous gig as the villain on Mission Impossible 2 forced him to drop out of the superhero flick. Scrambling to recast the role with a short time before cameras were set to start rolling, Singer tapped a then-unknown Australian theater veteran by the name of Hugh Jackman. That is the article. Very cool article by Ethan Sachs at uh, NewYorkDailyNews.com. So what do you think, Tim? A little bit of serendipity that they only sent him the those portions of the script or what yeah i think that was the better thing to happen for sure (laughs) because who who actually remembers the villain at all from mi2 i I remember how the villain dies and that's pretty much it i just think it's really cool how it all worked out we still have a great mission impossible series that's been going on for like 19 years uh we had um Gandalf be played in a most amazing way. We had Magneto get played in a most amazing way. We got Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So I think it worked out all the way around. So yay, yay, yay. Anyways, so that's the end of my news. And uh, bring us home on the news there, sir. All right, lastly for me is kind of maybe depressing news. From Jezebel.com, accused voracious Hollywood peeper dismissed from latest movie set. This is written by Natasha Vargas Cooper. And it says this... Kevin Thomas Rory, a veteran Hollywood production assistant and assistant director, was fired from the set of the movie Allegiant after news that he'd pleaded no contest to invasion of privacy charges related to covert nude picture-taking. Last month, Jezebel reported that Roy had been accused of possessing more than 400 secretly filmed images of women changing and using the bathroom, many apparently taken of actresses and female crew members on film sets. And for those that don't know, Allegiant is the third movie of the Insurgent uh, Divergent movies uh, trilogy of young adult novel. Lionsgate Films dismissed Roy after Allegiant cast and crew members began circulating the details of the voyeurism case that had been documented on Jezebel. Quote, He just kept on telling me that his ex-wife found a porn stash on his computer and that it was no big deal, end quote. One stand-in from Allegiant set told Jezebel the day after the story and a copy of Roy's search warrant were published. Quote, Lots of people on set believe that he didn't do anything wrong and we were warned by production staff not to discuss it. Mentioning Kevin would get you suspended, so we decided to print out the article and the warrant and distribute it on set since production staff wasn't doing anything about it, end quote. The head of the Allegiant production crew did not respond to requests for comment at the time, but two days after cast and crew had circulated the warrant, Julie Fontaine, the head of PR for Lionsgate, sent Jezebel a text saying, quote, 
He will not be returning to set. We are looking into the matter and won't have further comment until we've completed our inquiry. End quote. Asked if those who hired Roy have been aware of his legal troubles and what excuses he had given to leave the production to attend his court hearing in Los Angeles, Fontaine texted back the same message. According to the search warrant obtained by Jezebel, Roy was in possession of five hard drives containing more than 40 videos and 400 images captured by secret cameras he had allegedly set up in the family home, on film sets, in changing rooms, and in bathrooms. Footage on the hard drives showed images of actresses, models, family members, friends, and strangers in various stages of undress, showering, and using the toilet, according to the warrants and accounts of people who have seen the footage. Detective Than Flumerfelt, the senior investigator for the L.A. County District Attorney Office, described Roy in his warrant as, quote, voracious consumer of voyeuristic matter, end all quotes. I gotta say, what what's kind of interesting about this, and I, I guess this kind of goes a little bit into workplace politics or stuff like that, to me it's just kind of interesting that companies just don't want you or like some people in the in the workplace just don't want to talk about it because they know if people start talking about it they have to fire that guy but i would expect that you know nowadays people would you know should already realize that this is going to get out and the guy is going to have to be let go eventually uh so yeah it's just just kind of that mindset of just don't say anything keep it on the down low and just kind of overlook it perplexes me a little bit and especially on a film set where you have unions and uh liabilities and all that crazy stuff so again this is from jezebel.com accused voracious hollywood peeper dismissed from latest movie set and that is my news unless you had something to add to that nope So yeah, so that is the news, and that will bring us to... It's... It's... The... The... Copy... Copy... Cat... Cat... Throwdown! Throwdown! That's right, it's the Copycat Throwdown! Well, that's right, it's the Copycat Throwdown! Stop it! Stop it! No, no, seriously, stop it. Oh, right, like, stop repeating? Stop repeating. Right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick, kick your, your ass. ass. Throw down time. Excellent. Uh, let's see. This week's copycat throwdown is going to be Dante's Peak versus Volcano. It turns day into night, air into fire. Nothing in the world can compare to its power. The most awesome sight you will ever see may be your last. In the town of Dante's Peak, a volcano is turning nature into a nightmare. Brosnan, Linda Hamilton, 
Dante's Peak. The pressure is building. Southern California. We're heading for a high of 75 degrees. Didn't take long to get our first SIG alert this morning. This morning's shaker surprised all of us here in the Fox 11 newsroom. This was a small to moderate earthquake. Epicenter in magnitude is in for a tenth Epicentered in Palmdale. Palmdale. Is the winner. There you if a dam breaks and the mayor calls, I don't want you telling her Rourke went fishing. Okay, we don't pull her off the slopes for even a 4.9. Gas explosion in the MacArthur Park area. Rescue crews. Public Works lost seven guys. What's going on? Freak accident on the storm drain. They had a steam pipe. It got scalded. Steam did that. Steam doesn't try tissue like this. Nothing. Something else. We got a problem. Number four train westbound. Temperature on board reads 20 degrees above normal. That lake was 62 degrees yesterday. Today it's up to 68. That's a sunny day. It takes a geological event to heat a million gallons of water in 12 hours. What is a geological event? Mike, come in. What's going on? It's tremendous heat. This is no good. Get out of here. Get off the train. Get off the train. Please do not leave your home. Somebody tell me what the hell is going on. There's got to be something feeding this. When it hits what? It's going to punch through. You mean you're rough. It's everywhere. It's down the time. I need a demolitions team. Everybody out! LAPD, National Guard. Put as many people in front of it as it takes. We turn and run now. They're going to be defenseless. You don't like my plan? That's good. Give me another plan, but don't tell me we're backing out. We're going to take this thing to the ocean. In a city where anything can happen. On April 25th. Please stay calm. Both from 1997, both epic disaster adventure films, uh, one taking place in Los Angeles, one taking place in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they both, while they have completely disparate um, ways of playing out ostensibly volcano that's not supposed to be active or even there in certain cases um is now active and erupts and all hell breaks loose one is definitely more along the line of adventure survival one is more along the line of uh grand disaster a la san andreas um now, it's interesting because Dante's Peak... Now, they both did better than their budgets, but neither did really significantly better than their budgets. However, um, the end result was Dante's Peak did do more business than Volcano, yet Volcano was better received critically than Dante's Peak. Um, I don't know. Volcano starred uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Anne Hesch... And some various other 90s 
nineties, uh, uh, late nineties kind of well, John, stars. Don Cheadle as well. Oh yes, Don Cheadle as well, and. I don't know. It just didn't grab me. I think it's the flashier of the two, for for sure. But I think that substance-wise, we've got in Dante's Peak, we've got Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton, who are the uh, chief stars of this film. And I don't know. I think, not, not really trying to knock Don Cheadle or... Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, but I think just the caliber of the storytelling was a little bit better in Dante's Peak, and I think the acting was a little bit better in Dante's Peak. Subsequently, I think that even though Dante's Peak was not, like I said, strictly as flashy, I think there was a little more to it, meat-wise. They both play out in very similar things, obviously. You know, we're, we're pretty much trying, we're pretty much striving for an overall happy ending, for for everyone involved and yet at the end of the day i just i didn't buy into volcano like i bought into dante's peak i don't know maybe because i spent so much time living in the pacific northwest so uh and also dante's peak was slightly more scientifically accurate and i do mean slightly i mean we're not you know uh (laughs) And then Volcano was. And so maybe, I don't know, it just made it so that it was a little bit easier to buy into than Volcano. Um, Neither one has aged particularly well, but I got to give the edge all the way around for me to Dante's Peak. Just a better film, um, more enjoyable. And if you're going to have to choose between one, I would say Dante's Peak is where it's at. What do you say, Tim? Let's see. Dante's Peak came out February 7th of 97, and Volcano came out April 25th of 97. And that year, uh, you also saw Anaconda that came out around the same time as Volcano. And funny story is that I went to the movie theater to go see Anaconda with my grandfather, got kind of scared at the idea of watching a movie about a snake. I mean, I was like nine years old, being a little wuss. So I was like, let's go see Volcano instead. So we walked over to Volcano... And it's great watching this now because I realized how dumb I was acting. (laughs) That and how much this movie aged poorly. And we walked in kind of right before the scene where Tommy Lee Jones and the guy, they go down the tunnel and all that, you know, the, the, the steam happens and the fight, you know, all that stuff. And for some reason, it scared the shit out of me. And I wanted to go see Anaconda, you know, a movie about a giant snake instead of the zany, wacky, goofy, thriller, whatever movie about a volcano in the middle of Hollywood. <laughs> and so it was kind of a treat going back and, because like, I, I haven't seen Volcano in years. So it was fun going back and kind of reliving that moment of how goofy I was being as a young nine-year-old. But um, also that kind of shows you how that movie didn't age as well. And Dante's Peak didn't really age that well either, but at least it, the, Dante's Peak didn't rely on the special effects at the time. Uh, with the, uh, like, Dante's Peak, the actual volcano doesn't erupt until way past the halfway mark of the movie. 
even the lava, you don't really see any lava until later on. It's mainly the ash that falls down and uh, the, the mudslides and the earthquake and, you know, making the rocks tumble down. And also the lava is more realistic where you're, it's, you're not just seeing pools of orange and red going down the mountain. You also see the dirt and the hardening and the, the molten, what is it, like the tar and whatnot that also comes with the lava kind of flowing with it also. But in Volcano, you have the crazy late 90s, early CGI, unrealistic lava that's just kind of like creeping towards you. And it's actually moving a little bit faster than how real lava would have moved. But then that's just not the only issue with Volcano. I mean, even there's so much over the top with the movie, even down to the ash itself. With Dante's Peak, the ash in the movie looks a little bit more realistic. It's, you know, it's ash doesn't like turn into big balls of puffy looking stuff that you can just literally pick up and throw across a room. Like in Volcano, like all you see so much ash in people's hair, but it's not like a soft little pallet of ash. It's like clumpy and it looks like dust balls. So in that way, I thought Dante's Peak looked more realistic. Now, when you get down to the science itself, in fact, Volcano is the more realistic movie because of how they actually go about to solve the issue. Dante's Peak, believe it or not, it had more of the the ridiculous action hero movie cliches like, would a volcanologist really think that driving a jeep across lava would actually work <laughs> and by god pierce brosnan does that and it does work and for some reason part of the wheels are still on the car that should not have been the case because it's not like he was driving over like three feet worth of lava at high speed no he was i mean they were like struggling it was strugs nation getting through it, I mean, what it looked like was a block of, of lava, molten lava, you know, and still rubber was on the tires. So it was more stuff like that uh, with Dante's Peak, whereas, again, Volcano was more ridiculous over the top. But to me, it made a little bit more sense. However, with Volcano, they were relying on all that science without really producing anything you know, any, anything meaty for the story to really feed off of because they limit themselves with Volcano. They limit the characters and they limit the story itself because the entire movie takes place within, like, a two-block radius, which is only a few blocks away from where I actually live, which is kind of interesting. And believe it or not, yes, the La Brea Tar Pits are a real thing. For those of you who don't believe that L.A. has tar pits, yes, we do have tar pits, and they're pretty cool. Volcano just limits itself with its story. It only revolves around one character, and he just kind of hangs around there, and he's kind of like the fish out of out of water, but yet he's doing everything right without really much of a struggle. And it's difficult when you have people against lava, because, I mean, you can't really make lava the actual bad guy. With Dante's Peak, there was more of a human-against-mother-nature aspect to it. You had the earthquakes, you had the mudslides, you had trying to get from point A to point B, and it created more of a story. So that is why I think Dante's Peak was, in fact, the better movie than Volcano. Uh, I mean, I can, I can keep going on. Volcano feels like more of the 90s movie. <laughs> 
And I don't know, Matt, did you also get the race vibe? Like there, that volcano was trying to make a point about race, like with the little kid at the end where he's trying to find his mother, but everybody is covered with ash and the kid says something about, look at their faces. They all look the same. And he can't pick out his mother because everybody has ash all over their face. And the whole thing with the white cop and the black guy that's wanting the firefighters to hose down his neighborhood street because it caught on fire like three hours earlier. But then at the end, the white cop kind of lets up and says, thank you, buddy. You actually helped us out. We'll send a fire truck to take care of your street that's probably not there anymore. Um, I did not really... It was done See, that's poorly. The problem when you put good. when you put mediocre lip service crap into a movie that's already not very good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't saying it was I, good. I mean, it was so I, obvious. I, honestly, bad. I didn't notice it. I yeah. truly didn't. I mean, I can see how you are totally getting that, and I probably should have noticed it, but uh, no. So I, I'm taking it then that uh, all in all, you are agreeing that with me in this particular instance that Dante's Peak was better. Yes, it's not a great movie, but it's definitely it's the easier cream of to the crap. swallow. Yes, it's the cream of the crap here. Yes, so, yes. So sweet. All right. Well, then I guess that is going to end our bonus segment there. Uh, next week we're going to be doing a three squared. We're going to do that one again. We're basically we're going to be talking about our picks for our best or favorite uh, special effects sequences. Now, the movies that they come from don't necessarily have to have been the best movies in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but for whatever reason, you know, these are just movies that we think have some really cool special effects sequences or maybe just one really cool special effects sequence. And that's what we're going to do for next week. So without further ado, I believe it is now time for the movie Awesome. So, this week's movies are Fantastic Four, The Man from Uncle, and Straight Out of Compton. Where would you like to start, sir? How about The Man from Uncle? All right, Man from Uncle, action comedy spy film directed by Guy Ritchie and stars Henry Cavill, Army Hammer, Alicia Vikander, Elizabeth Debicki, I think, right? <laughs> Jared Harris and Hugh Grant. Um, this is, of course, the revival from the uh, TV series way, way back in the day. I was kind of surprised. I didn't notice. Uh, Tim, maybe you spotted it, but I sure as heck didn't notice any cameos from the two guys from the original series. No, I actually I did not. And at they're all. both alive. They're, yeah, they I mean, are. Both, yeah, uh, very so old. Kind of, but yeah, but still, I mean, I don't care. They could have been two guys playing chess on the sidewalk or something. I, I mean, you know, it could have been something. Uh, anyway, so that was a little disappointing. But basically, this is a 60s spy thriller, um, and we are dealing with uh, CIA agent Napoleon Solo, who is basically trying to track down a nuclear bomb, and with the help of uh, the reluctant help on both sides, really, here, of KGB agent Ilya Kirakin. (laughs) Um, and that of course played by uh, Army Hammer 
And they have to team up to try and track down former Nazis and everything else. Um, there's, of course, a what what could be interesting um, interplay between the... Oh, good Lord. What was her name? Hang on. i got to look it up here. Uh, Alicia Vikander's role of Gabby Teller, who is like the niece of one of the... <sighs> Uh, supposed Nazi people and also the daughter of someone else who is supposedly a Nazi guy that they're trying to look for in connection with this bomb, this nuclear bomb. Um, they, they try, this movie tries to kind of rekindle that spirit of the old series. The problem is, is that we've kind of more or less hit a wall with the Nazi thing. Um, I appreciate that even though they win at this from the angle of the Cold War, um, and they definitely, this is this is visually a Guy Ritchie film, straight up and down. There is no, uh, you know, definitely no way of missing that. Uh, I think, though, that they were trying to capitalize on stuff that made Sherlock Holmes popular at the same time trying to mix elements of the original series which i mean it was a popular series for four years for a reason Uh, as a matter of fact certain things from that series are actually found in the reagan presidential library today uh, as an example of what it was like for spies during the cold war so i mean it's definitely good source material to to, with which to make a film during the Cold War. But I think the biggest problem came from the aspect of the Nazis. I think instead of just letting the Cold War stuff ride out, instead of creating kind of a wonky origin story for them, I think it would have been much better just to have it be set dead in the Cold War, uh, where they could be competing against each other, but more like comrades who are who are constantly in friendly competition. They always try to outdo each other, but they are still friends because they have already had this relationship that's set up. And then, I don't know, right in a way that explains where Uncle came from and why it's so important that they're there and why they were put together in the first place. Instead of creating an entire film wrapped around it where you have to deal with, again... Nazis. I mean, come on, guys. We've got better things to do and better things to talk about. And the best part of it all is that the Cold War lasted uh, for, what, 46 years or something like that? So why not deal with it? I mean, why not let it be at the end of the 60s instead of the beginning of the 60s? Why not just have let everything come out um or even let it be a continuation, more or less, from the series, so that you could do cool stuff that happened in the 70s, but with people who had been together for five or six years already. So you've just really got all of this story element that has really nowhere to go and nothing to do, but that 
it depends on Guy Ritchie's flashy directional style along with somewhat wonky writing and decent acting and interesting could have been interesting characters i just feel like this was a like there was so much to go so much that it had going for it and i was really wanting to like it a lot more than i did but with all that negativity aside it is still a fun ride i personally give this one 3.5 stars um I use the term popcorn flick a little bit lightly this time because there is substance behind it, but I just think they could have done a lot better. 3.5. This is one of the most anticipated films on my list for 2015. And there was a lot of high expectation going in to this movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. The style, the sexiness, the fun just makes up for the lack of substance with the film. Because regardless if it's Nazis or the Cold War, it's a tired story that we've all seen before. But man, it's just the the style and the fun and the chicness just kind of cloaks it a bit. Because the movie isn't about necessarily the story. It's about the fun. It's about the characters and the interplay. And that's what Guy Ritchie really knows, uh, really knows how to how to how to how to make all that come across on screen very well. What I also thought was very interesting is that I did watch The Man from Uncle uh, growing up, not back in the '60s, obviously, but in re- the reruns of reruns of reruns, and I liked how the show was a basically an homage to, or excuse me, the movie was an homage to the show. They didn't want it to be a a complete remake. They wanted to do their own thing, but pay their respect to the show. And that is exactly what they did. Because if they just remade the show completely, it wouldn't have come across the same way. Because the shows in the 60s are goofy or zany or, you know, there's kind of, there's that, there's the silliness that really doesn't work in today's films. That's why whenever they want to make a Brady Bunch movie, it has to be a really dumb movie. Not saying, I don't mean dumb in a bad way, but it has to be dumb and goofy because you cannot make a serious Brady Bunch movie. Uh, same thing with the Thunderbirds remake. You know, the Thunderbirds were the, where it was the TV, the kids TV show with the puppets and all that. Thunderbirds are go. Well, when they remade the movie in 2003, 2004, sometime around there, they used, it was live action and it wasn't good. You know, they couldn't really do it. So it's very hard to update these shows nowadays in, in a movie form and actually do justice to it. And I felt that this movie did justice and it, they couldn't have pulled it off without the beautiful cinematography, the great costume design, the, be- the great uh, scenic design as well, the set designs, as well as the actors. I thought Henry Cavill, this is what, probably the best thing I've seen him in. He is fantastic. He is a great mix of Sean Connery's Bond and Sterling Archer. You know, he has the looks, he has the sexiness, but he's he can also be a smartass. And he's, he, he has a good way of really kind of hitting those punchlines. Like, okay, I, I don't want to say it, but yeah, I mean, he has some great lines in the movie. And same thing with Army Hammer. You know, he played the over-the-top Russian right as well as you can play the over-the-top Russian. I mean, it's the same way that um, David, uh, David McCallum, he played the character in the TV show. But he also had the over-the-top accent as well. You had uh, Alicia Vikander, who played Gabby. 
talk about gorgeous. The perfect actress that could have portrayed that character. She had the look. She had the cuteness. Uh, she had the silliness. And that's really what you needed. You wanted that silly girl that her character could lead you astray. And, you know, you really don't know who she is in the movie. And it, it's great. I loved it. And same thing with Elizabeth Debicki, who plays Victoria. Believe it or not, you watch the movie and you would have thought that she was a very attractive older woman, like in her 40s. This girl is 25 years old, and she plays 45 so damn well. And I thought she was perfectly cast as this character. If anybody else made this movie, I don't think it would have worked as well. I know it's easy for me to say that because I saw this movie and I really liked it. But I really can't see George Clooney playing this character as well as Henry Cavell. But what I also thought was very interesting with the story is that the show, one thing that the show didn't really explain to you, or what a lot of people were kind of perplexed by the show, was that they didn't know how Solo and Ia got together. Because in the show, they were just together and they kind of had that budding relationship. With the movie, they kind of wanted to show you how they got together and the origin of all these guys and how Uncle became Uncle, so that, you know, the franchise, or when the movie moves forward to the sequels, they had some, They had a basis to really start off from. So the next movie, it will be later on in the future, more than likely still in the 60s, but you're going to be kind of acquainted with the characters and their past just a little bit that you're not going to have really any questions later on as to why they're doing this, why they're acting like this. And all the references to the first movie and the, experience, and the references to those experience will be that much more entertaining and that much more fun if done right. And I think it will, uh, will do right. Now, this movie obviously does have issues. And those issues were poor directing choices by Guy Ritchie himself. And that, to me, really came in the last 20 minutes of the movie. The last act of the movie became what I thought ruined the Sherlock Holmes uh, movies that he made, especially the sequel. Because the sequel, uh, not Book of Shadows, Game of Shadows, I think is what it was called, with Moriarty, Jared Hess is in that one as well. It just became too much of a very stylistic and, you know, the slow motion and the quick cuts and the quick action and just stuff that really didn't fit with that movie. And it was more distracting than anything else. That's kind of what happened with the last 20 minutes of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. They had a lot of stuff, a lot of plot and a lot of story to tie up that it felt rushed. And the movie, the ending of the movie is like three endings that really didn't fit together. One was the action-y one. One was like the slick, smart, Ocean's Eleven type of ending where, oh yes, by the way, this is about to happen. Boom! And then at the very end, you have the tying up of the characters and, of course, the tie-in to the sequel, which they just really needed to find a way to kind of combine all that together, maybe not into one big sequence, but especially something that worked and flowed and worked with one another and that's pretty much it. Uh, I thought the movie was really good. I give this one 3.75 out of 5. Yes, the movie doesn't hit its beats every time. But it's still fun. And I think it's a movie that will get better after each viewing. So, Man from Uncle, 3.75 out of 5 for me. Where would you like to go from here? How about Straight out of Compton? 
Okay, Straight Outta Compton, 2015 American biographical drama film directed by F. Gary Gray. Uh, this is basically a, uh, the chronicles the rise and fall of uh, of the hip-hop group N.W.A. and its members Dr. Dre, Eazy-E, Ice Cube, DJ Yella, and MC Ren. Um, this movie has been criticized for a lot of reasons um for not including certain aspects of like ice cube for excluding for uh not being able to put all of the stories that need to be told for maybe glossing over negative aspects of certain characters and what have you but guys it's one movie about you know a basically 10 different people, even though there were only, you know, five guys in, you know, uh, that made up NWA proper with the people in the background with the lawyers and the record producers and all of the other people who were drifting in and out during that time period. There's just too much to do. You'd literally have to make a movie about each individual person in NWA to even get it any kind of justice and you've only got two hours and 20 minutes to do this in so I think for the time that they had I think they made the most of it and I think that there's really good acting here but I think where the movie falls short for me is in the final act the last 20 25 minutes of the film instead of just letting one major narrative um which is the actual i would say probably the the final nail in the coffin of nwa being actually able to get back together instead of just letting that carry out I think they still tried to, to let it split off a little too much. And I think that that is what really hurts it because it, the end for me just kind of falls flat. And then it's like, okay, and this is what happened to him. The end. So everything up to that point, though, I thought was fantastic. But if you're going to lead that strong and build that strong and have really good performances all the way around... um then I think you need to end that strong and just, instead of just kind of going, and scene. Which I really felt personally that they did. And it hurt this movie a whole lot. Um, just in the interest of time, that's all I want to say about it. So 3.75, great movie if you haven't seen it yet. But um, I felt the ending could have been a lot stronger. What do you got, Tim? Yes, I definitely agree with exactly, with all that you said. But just to kind of add to that really quick... That a movie that spans a number of years and deals with a number of people, I'm not saying this to compare it directly to this movie, I'm just giving you an example, like look at Goodfellas. Long movie, two and a half hours, it spans a number of years, and it covers a lot of ground. But a movie like this has to keep the audience's intrigue going, which, as for, you know, Straight Outta Compton, it does for the most part. But I got the feeling too often that the movie was taking too many detours with its storytelling and its tone, and therefore it caused some mixed emotions within me. So I give this one 3.5 out of 5. I did enjoy it. It's a really good movie, but I too felt that the ending, the last act just kind of fizzles out. 
And to me, it lose sight of its, I don't want to say message, but I should say like what in the what, what the movie kind of stands for, which is also what NWA stands for. And so again, like I said, the movie just takes these detours, which I think ultimately leads to the ending fizzling out. So 3.5 out of 5 for me. Right on. Okay, and that brings us to finally Fantastic Four. Uh, The 2015 superhero film that I have to believe at this point Fox just pretty much said, we're spending a hundred and, you know, uh, uh, we're going to do a $240 million fuck you to Disney. That's about the only thing I can think of because it's a $120 million budget. And you figure, like I said, you know, you got the, the standard rule of thumb, pretty much double a budget to consider for marketing and distribution and whatnot. So um, I, I just, I don't know what the hell the people over at Disney and or Marvel did to piss off the people at Fox uh, so bad that they are willing to do this to themselves, but they did. Um, the movie just is all over the place. Um Trying to take place in two different dimensions. Ooh, dimensions now. Portals and rifts. Ah. Um, the thing is, though, and here's the here's here's the thing. They actually got good actors. I don't understand. It's like I I just I feel like they were given scripts and like okay, these scripts are good. But I don't know. They seem a little, and everybody was like, "No, no, they're going to be great. We're going to have rewrites. You know, we'll make sure to take care of everything so that it's really going to pan out. It's really going to." And then everybody was just kind of like, "All right." And then they get on set, and then it's just like, "Nah, we lied. Here you go." And they just like, you know, threw the worst shit possible at them. These kids are decent actors and actresses. Um, I mean, especially with like Kate Mara. I'm also I enjoy Michael B. Jordan. I think he's a pretty uh, pretty stellar actor myself. Um, it just, I, I don't know. This is just bad. I, I don't know. It just, everybody comes across as wooden and it's a dumb plot. And I feel bad for them really, because I think they, I think they did the best with what they had and it still just wasn't enough. So I'm giving this one 1.5 because I feel bad for Kate Mara and Michael B. Jordan. That's it? There's nothing else you want to complain about with this movie? Because there's a lot! I know, that's why I'm saying. I, I just, you know, I feel bad because the actors themselves were pretty decent, especially for me personally, Kate Mara and Michael B. Jordan. Um, but it's just they, the material wasn't there and the plot was just fucking stupid. So, Well, I'll, I'll start off my review by saying that I saw this movie twice uh, was able to see it free once, and I actually paid to go see it again. I fell asleep both times. Therefore, I haven't seen the last 15 minutes of this pretty much an hour and a half long movie. That's how slow this movie is. It is not good. I mean, talk. Why does why is why does everybody, Matt? Why does everybody have to speak in a very low? tone like like nobody's voice gets higher than a grumble like it could that's what be, i'm saying it's like it's like literally there it's wooden yeah Every, regardless I mean, of the tension <laughs> or, or or any urgency everyone's tone is flat and hardly rises above a grumble it, it's crazy 
And there are so many articles out there that if anybody, if you're into movies uh, at all, I'm sure you've heard some of this information about the the fight between Josh Tank and the director and Fox. And you can, I mean, there are, all these articles are out here. You have everything from the deleted scenes, the deleted footage uh, that you can actually go online and watch, the, uh, some of the B-roll, where... Once Josh Trank finished the movie and had his cut, the producers looked at each other and said, oh my God, we have to fix this. So they brought, they hired somebody to come in and rework the movie and had to get rid of a ton of shit and had to basically come back and reshoot the last act of the movie, which you can actually see Kate Mara's fake wig during the last half of the movie. And it is pretty obvious. And you can go online and you can just look up tribute to Kate Mara's a wig, and you can see the pictures of of you know her her hair during the first half of the movie and her hair during the last half of the movie, and it is not good. There was also supposed to be the Fantastic Four flying car, which was in the original movie, but it got scrapped. But more importantly, you have other articles where Josh Trank blames Fox for Fantastic Four. Fox reportedly are actually still moving ahead with the Fantastic Four Part 2 for some reason. It was chaos. That was a quote. The behind-the-scenes story of what happened with Fantastic Four. In fact, I do recommend that one to check out. Uh, that one is from yahoo.com. And that is actually a some, some information from the hollywoodreporter.com which kind of gives you more of a detailed behind-the-scenes look at what exactly happened. And Josh Tank, or Josh Trank, he was the one that directed the movie Chronicle, the found-footage young superhero movie, which actually is a really good film. And Fox looked at that, and, and they thought, oh, we have a young Spielberg on our hands. Let's bring him on. Let's make him direct this $120 million movie. Uh, believe it or not, this movie was supposed to be... I think $180 million, that was supposed to be their budget, but Fox came back and said, sorry, no, we're going to cut this bitch back. And that is what pissed Josh Trank off at the beginning, because he felt that his vision needed that extra $60 million, or $40 million, or you know, however much originally it was supposed to be. So that pissed him off. He didn't get along with the actors, Miles Teller, which the studio didn't want for the role of Mr. Fantastic, but Josh Trank actually fought uh, fought for, you know, to get him onto the movie. The two of them fought because Miles Teller likes to do his own thing, but Josh Trank doesn't like that at all. He likes to be in charge. But on top of that, Josh Trank is also recluse during setups and takedowns and getting ready for scenes. He would kind of go away to his trailer and not be seen until it was ready to shoot. Then he would come back out and he would spend most of his time at his monitor where it was completely covered in this. It was in a black tent where nobody else could be in there allegedly except him. I don't know if he had assistants or whatever that would come and watch the footage with him, but he would pretty much hermit himself in that black tent where nobody else could see what he was shooting. And in regards to the wooden acting, he would go up to the actors and tell them to tone down their acting until until it was what he would call, quote, realistic acting or realistic vocality or something like that, to where... If you were put in that situation, this is how you would speak. Which, 
I don't. I'm, I know I've never been put in this situation, but if shit was going down, I don't think I would say, Matt, my house is on fire. I think it would be a good time to stop recording because I might have some belongings that I think I should get together so I can leave this house before I'm dead. I am now dead because I have taken the time to grumble through my dialogue to say exactly... It's urgent. I should be speaking like this because there's a fucking fire in my fucking house. I gotta... Maybe not like that. Maybe more audible. But the movie is bad. 1.5 out of 5 is what I'm giving it because the special effects... For what it was, I thought Grimm, the thing, I thought he looked good. I thought the the effects that they did for Mr. Fantastic were pretty cool. Definitely more looked more practical than what you saw with the uh, 2005 Fantastic Four movies. I also liked what they were trying to go with with this movie. You know, think about Chronicle and what made that movie cool. You see hints of that. In this film, and again, I don't know if it's that if that's because it's the studio that tried fixing it, or if that's actually Josh Trank's genius or actual talent coming out. It's hard to tell because apparently Josh Trank has come out and said that his version of or his original cut of Fantastic Four is quote absolutely fantastic end quote. So I don't know. I, it's hard to tell if it if it's actually Josh Trank to blame or if it is actually 20th Century Fox to blame. But still, 1.5 out of 5. And we are, guys, we're still getting a Fantastic Four sequel. So, <laughs> deal with it. I still don't know what Disney and or Marvel did to piss them off this bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know but that the only, the only reason why they made this movie is because the rights were about to go I, back. That's what I, I know. That's what so. I'm saying. What could they have done that they are willing to throw away literally hundreds of millions? Of, they should have just said, you know what? Fuck it. We don't need it that bad. It's clearly not that good of a property. We're not going to be able to do anything to even remotely revive it. Marvel's already killed it off, so there's no more source material to draw from. Uh, let's just just let it go. No, they turned around and said, "Fuck you, motherfuckers. We got this." <laughs> what y'all don't like it? <laughs> now, now instead of Peter Jackson, we've just got the head of Fox going. We're gonna make another Fantastic Four movie. No, sir, no, they can't handle it. Shut up! I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and people wonder why Josh Trank got fired from directing <laughs> one of the upcoming Star Wars movies. Uh, so, yeah. could you imagine Anyways. him helming a Star Wars flick? I have, yeah, not not now, but. In in I mean I, I I'm telling you we're gonna get another lost soul out of this I can already see it from the director of Fantastic Four no believe it or not the shittier one from 2015 all right well next week's movies are gonna be The Gift uh, 2015's The Gift the one that just hit theaters uh, A Dangerous Man and Casting By both of which are on Netflix and I do believe that that is gonna bring us to the spiel does it not sir. 
Spiel on! All right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Kuraz of Solace. You can get a hold of them on ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Kuraz of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can, of course, follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NitTwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart's desire. And, of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Ice Cube, I get to say this. Don't worry about being a star. Worry about doing good work and all that will come to you. And thanks to Michael Bay, another one of my favorite directors, I get to say this. We don't make movies for critics. I've done four movies. There's millions upon millions upon millions of people who've paid to see them. Somebody likes them. My greatest joy is to sit anonymously in a dark theater and watch it with an audience. A paying audience. Talk to you guys next week. again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.